In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to the ages of all ages, Amen. As I was mentioning in the introduction to the readings, these are the last two weeks of this Coptic year, and we'll be celebrating uh, the Coptic New Year on September 11th. Um, and so for the last two Sundays of the Coptic year, the readings are focusing on the end times. And so this, the, the, the schedule of readings for Sundays um, takes us from the very beginning of the story of salvation, from like John the Baptist, even prior to Christ, the whole way through the life of Christ, through his ascension, through his giving us the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, and then bringing us right to the very end, to Jesus' second coming, coming to bring us home to heaven to be with him. And whether this is speaking about the end times like from in a general sense, in a cosmic sense for the whole world, or whether this is speaking about my own end, my own end of this life and the beginning of, uh, uh, or the continuation of my life in eternal life in heaven as it is to come, a lot of the principles are very much the same. Jesus says some very specific, some very specific advice to us. He st starts off by telling us, do not be deceived. Why do you think he's telling us, do not be deceived? Maybe he's telling us, do not be deceived because there's a chance we might be deceived. <laughs> Maybe he's telling us, do not be deceived because there's a very real possibility of being deceived. Deceived by who? Well, I don't know. Somebody maybe who's trying to deceive us. What would you call somebody who's trying to deceive us? I don't know. Maybe a deceiver, right? And so there is a deceiver, right? The deceiver, the liar, the father of lies um, is, is the devil, is Satan, right? And this is a very, very important concept because... A lie is an absence of truth. The absence of truth is, is, is insubstantial. There is no substance to something which is not true. People oftentimes uh, ask me, like we get into a conversation sort of about why, you know, like why I became a priest, all these kinds of things and so on. And, and there's a lot of different things we could talk about. But the number one reason that motivates me in my worship is not an emotional reason, is not an experiential reason, but it is because, it is because of the truth. It is because I have found nothing to be more true than Jesus himself. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the first thing that Jesus is telling us is that we ought to be careful. We ought to be careful and not to allow ourselves to be deceived because as we get closer and closer to the end, the deception will be greater. The lies will be more, will be more um, abundant um, and there will be more lie and less truth. Now when you watch the news, you find that, you know, they, they say a whole bunch of different things and then... If you don't watch the news for a couple of days and you watch the news a few days after that, three, four days later, you find a lot of the time they're saying the exact opposite of what they said three or four days ago, right? I'm not blaming the news or the newscasters or the news companies or whatever. Maybe they have all the other agendas, maybe this, maybe that. But the, the, 
the, the, what, what, what we see is rarely, is rarely the truth, right? And now more and more, more and more, the truth comes out over time. But what we see initially is oftentimes not the truth and is often a lie. And there's no substance to a thing that is a lie. If somebody is threatening you with something which is not true, if I tell you, you know, I have a gun under my tunic over here. I do, right? But I'm lying. If, I, if, 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 if it's true, you should be scared. If it's not true, you have nothing to be afraid of, right? Because there's nothing there. There's no threat. So it's very important for us to be able to identify truth from lie. Jesus says something a little further on. He says to us, But don't worry, he who endures to the end shall be saved. This could be the, the title of our sermon today. This could be the, the, the title of our sort of primer on spiritual warfare. That's what I wanted to offer you today, was a primer on spiritual warfare. Just the 101, the very beginning principles of spiritual warfare. But it could all be summarized in this, is that he who endures to the end shall be saved. It's not, spiritual warfare is not about defeating demons, killing the demons, fighting the demons, punching them out, knocking them, knocking them dead. It's not at all. It's very much the opposite. It's just about sticking it out. And the reason is, is because the, the primary modus operandi, the pro primary thing that, that demons use in their battle against the children of God is fear. And so what they are trying to do is they're trying to make you turn around and run. And if you can just stand your ground by whatever means, and we'll discuss, we'll discuss those means, as St. James gave us some very excellent imperative advice if we can just stand our ground by those means then you shall be saved it's just about being the last man standing and the reason is because the demons are full of lies and so it's all smoke and mirrors so when the light shines all the darkness is dispelled when a fresh breeze comes in all of, the, all of the fog dissipates. So if you can just stand your ground. And we see this exemplified most clearly in the lives of the ascetics and in the lives of, of, of the saints. And maybe some of you experience this as well. And to be, to be honest, all of us experience it. Anybody who's tried to pray has experienced this. Anybody who's tried to pray has stood to pray and has all of a sudden thought to themselves, oh, wait a minute, I need to go to the washroom. Oh, hold on a second. Before I pray, I need to this. I need to, right? The moment we direct ourselves towards God, all of a sudden, a thousand and one emergencies come and try to pull us away, right? Those are, by and large, demonic whispers. They are, by and large, demonic whispers. I don't know. I don't want to generalize everything. But in general, those are demonic whispers, trying to pull us away. Just 
stand your ground. In the lives of the great saints, we see that they would see the demons, that the demons would try to scare them. Omina Irini, uh, uh, a contemporary saint, passed away not too long, not too long ago, f several years ago, right? When she, she was a, 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 a teenage girl when she entered the monastery. And when she would come down to do her prostrations, she would see the ground full of snakes and serpents and scorpions all, all, all around her, right? And she would hear a voice telling her, Irini, don't be afraid. She came from a very wealthy family and she she had never she had never seen snakes and scorpions and this was this was like 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 something so strange for her she wasn't she wasn't like a like a servant girl or something that spent her life like sweeping the streets or something no she was she was uh, came from a wealthy family she showered twice a day she was <laughs> she was like you know she was a, a, a person of, of nobility. So this was terrifying for her. And a little voice would tell her, Irini, continue in your prayers. And she would see the snakes and the serpents and the scorpions. These are very e extreme examples. So, but they really exemplify the point. And she would continue with her prostration. So she would kneel down and put her face to the ground where she is having these apparitions. Of course, none of this was real. None, of course, none of these things were real, right? They were hallucinations caused by the demons to cause her to stop praying. To that extreme, to that extreme, you know? So that's, this is, I thought this would be a, a, like a, a, a simple example that would kind of exemplify what it means to stand our ground and to refuse, to refuse to change our course no matter what. And so what can we do? How can we break that down? How can we do this endure to the end that, right, that we could be saved? Well, St. James gives us very good advice. I'm going to take some, seven of his imperatives that he says to us, do this, do this, do this. The first thing he says is submit to God. The first thing, the first thing when you feel fear the first thing when you set your path towards God and anything tries to dissuade you, know that this is demonic warfare. Know that this is, this is the, en the enemy trying to pull you away. And the first thing we need to do is to run to God, to run to Christ and to kneel before Him and to submit to Him and to tell Him, Lord, save me. The first thing we need to do, and this doesn't take doesn't take a lot of time it doesn't take it all it takes is a consciousness all it takes is an awareness all it takes is for us to realize that these are end days these are troubled days not because it's corona not because of covid and not because we're nearing the end of the coptic new year but because jesus says so because jesus says so and he's telling us exactly what to do and we need to be like jesus ended the gospel today telling us three times he said there's one word which he said three times somebody says something three times they probably mean it he said watch he said watch don't be caught off guard don't be caught with your pants down this isn't the time this isn't the time this is the time to be watchful this is the time to be aware this is the time to be awake this is the time to be ready. If you're not expecting spiritual warfare, you won't notice it when it comes and it will blindside you and me 
and it will leave me and you reeling. So the first thing is to recognize, as I set my face towards God, as I set myself to pray, as I set myself to read His Word, as I set myself to love my enemies, as I set myself, as I set myself to walk in the path of God, the wisdom of Sirach, chapter 2, verse 1, tells us, My son, if you turn to yourself to serve the Lord, be prepared for trials or be prepared for tribulations, right? So the first thing we need to do is to be aware and to submit to God. Then he tells us something very beautiful. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. It's not conquer the devil. It's not punch him out. It's not beat him to a pulp. It's not resist the devil. Just as you stand to pray and you remember the 1001 reasons why you need to leave your place of prayer right now and you need to do something. Just resist. Just resist the temptation as your toes are itching to move. Just resist. Plant yourself more firmly in the ground. I'm staying put. Just resist. If you and I just resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's enough. Why? Because he is full of as much fear as you are. And you're resisting the temptation. You're resisting the devil. Terrorizes the demons. It's really funny. It's very paradoxical. The demons attack us with fear and terror. But when you don't bite, when you don't bite, that terrorizes them. Let me give you an example to, 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 to make it clear. You ever, maybe some of you remember this, maybe some of you were too innocent to ever try this, but anybody here ever tried to lie to their parents? You know, I don't know, I did. You know, tried to get away with something or whatever, right? And uh, like, I would be saying this to my mom, I'm a terrible liar, I could never get away with it, right? And so I'd be telling some long-winded, very unrealistic story to my mom and she'd just stand there, motionless. She would just stand there and look at me, right? And like, I'd keep talking, keep talking, and I'd be like, okay, fine, you know it's not true. You know what I mean? The fact that she doesn't bite, the fact that she doesn't react, the fact that she, she, she wouldn't have to say anything, right? The fact that she would just stay still, you know, I'm trying to get away with something. I'm, I'm scared. I'm the scared little, little kid and I'm trying to get away with something, right? And, and the, her, her, her motionless, you know, looking at me, right? She's probably trying to resist the urge to laugh her head off, most likely, right? Would force me to crack. And the same is true. The same is true for all of us, right? And the same is true with the demons, just to resist the devil is enough to cause them to flee from you. Stand your ground, submit to God, resist the devil. But none of that builds strength in us. None of that builds stamina in us. That's just all the damage control in the moment. What is it that can cause me to be more stalwart, more strong, more firm, more able St. James gives us the next thing. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So simple. So simple. Ask yourself in all of the things that you do, 
How can this be something which helps you to draw near to God? Whether it's your life at home, whether it's the chores you're doing at home, whether it's giving somebody a ride, whether it's going to work, whether it's this, whether it's that, whatever thing it may be, how can that be an opportunity to draw near to God? Then that becomes something which causes God to draw near to you. The next thing he says is, cleanse your hands, you sinners. I need to accept the fact that yes, I am a sinner and that my sin has had some practical implications and consequences in my life and the lives of others. Cleanse your hands, to wash your hands is a very physical thing. Yes, he means it in a spiritual sense and, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But we're going to just start with the practical and physical things. When someone comes in confession and confesses that they've stolen something, God loves you and He is merciful and He is kind and He accepts your repentance and He accepts your confession, but you must return what you stole. You have to, we have to make restitution for our faults. If I broke something, I have to fix it. If I, if I you know, somebody came and confessed that they did a, a hit and run, of a, like a car, like they were parking and they bumped the other person's... Um, they bumped the other person and there was damage to the other person's car. And then they, were in, they didn't know what to do. They were embarrassed and they did, just in, the, in their flusteredness, they left. So we worked together with that person to help them to find that person that they hit and to offer to pay for the damages. That's what he means when he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Right? If I lied to somebody, I got to go tell them, you know what? I don't know what I was thinking when I spoke to you the other day and I told you this, but the truth is such and such. I have to make restitution for my faults. In as much as my will was engaged in my path of sinfulness, in as much as I need to engage my will in doing right. And that's the first step. The first step is, is to take God in hand and say, God, give me courage to make things right. Then he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does he mean by that? See, to be double-minded is a very painful state. To be double-minded is this, is to think one thing and to think another thing at the same time. It really feels, I've given this analogy before, forgive me for those of you who've heard it before, like anybody here been skiing, downhill skiing for the first time, you put your skis on and you're going down the hill and one leg goes that way and the other leg goes that way and you do the splits, right? It hurts. Why? Because half of you is going one way and the other half of you is going the other way, right? And you feel like you're going to get torn down the middle, right? You know what it's like? It's like me and my relationship with all-you-can-eat sushi. Thank God for COVID, right? On my way there, I'm like, I haven't had sushi in the longest time. I deserve this, etc., etc. I've been good, blah, blah, blah. I go, when I'm leaving, I'm like, oh, I really shouldn't have done that, Right? And that leads to, what does it lead to? It leads to unhappiness. St. Paul says something which is so beautiful. He says, blessed is the man who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Honestly, if I printed t-shirts, I would print a t-shirt that says that in layman's terms. Blessed, happy is the man, let's, let's make it gender neutral, person who does not condemn themselves in what they approve. 
That means that I was approving of all you can eat sushi on my way in and I'm condemning myself for it on the way out. That makes for unhappiness. Either approve of it on your way in and approve of it on your way out or condemn it on your way, you know, and don't go and you'll just be happier. You'll just be happier. But St. Paul, St. James is telling us, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Because before I do the sin, I tell myself, no, it's okay. And then afterwards, I'm, I'm ridden with guilt. Well, no wonder I'm, I'm unhappy. Make up your mind. Is it right or is it wrong? And just do what's right. And that's what it means to be simple-minded. To be simple-minded doesn't mean to be stupid or foolish or ignorant. To be simple-minded means to, have, to be of one mind regarding something. So I'm of one mind regarding this behavior, regarding this action, regarding this whatever, right? And so St. James is telling us to purify our hearts. What does that mean to purify our hearts? It means for our hearts to become simple. If I hold up, uh, if I hold up a bottle of water to, to you and I tell you this is pure water, what does that mean? That means that there's nothing in this bottle other than H2O. There's no salts dissolved in it. There's no air dissolved in it. There's, it's just two hydrogens and an oxygen atom bound together. That's all that's in there is a whole bunch of H2O. It's pure. It's pure means there's nothing in there except one thing. To be a pure of heart, to purify our hearts is... He's, it's telling us, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't be double-minded. Set your mind to one thing. And to do that, we're going to need to think about things. And as they come up, we can think about them. As different things come up in our lives, we experience them, you know, uh, and we are, dub, we are of two minds and we do something and then we condemn ourselves for it later and then this and then that. Then we think about it. I heard something, another, another little maxim which kind of, I thought, carried a lot of truth, said, experiences do not lead to wisdom. Wisdom is experience with reflection. I know a whole lot of people who have had a lot of experiences in life, and they're not very wise. I know a whole lot of people who have had less experiences in life and are very wise. Where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from reflection. So it's okay, like, if the first time around you're, you're of two minds about something because you haven't had time to think about it. But once you recognize that you're of two minds about something, stop and think about it, reflect and ask yourself, what's right next time around, what am I going to do? Next time around, where do I want to place my heart? Where do I want to place my affections? Where do I want to place my will? Where do I, how do I want to invest myself? And don't allow yourself, and I should not allow myself to continue to be double-minded. As the saying goes, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? In my relationship with my daughters, for example, they'll do something that I don't want them to do. I'll yell at them. I'll feel terrible afterwards for yelling at them. Okay, let's pause for a second and think. Well... They're probably going to do that behavior again. So, what do I want to do the next time around? If I don't stop and reflect, the next time around that they do something, they do the same thing, I'm going to yell at them. Then I'm going to feel terrible. Well, 
This is a little ridiculous, isn't it? Maybe we should just stop, think, see. Okay, well, how do I, how do I want to react to this? What way, if I reacted in such and such way, I would say, John, you did the right thing. If it's, if it's to raise my voice and so on, and you're convinced that's the right thing, go for it. It's your life, not mine. If it's to be patient and so on, you say, no, well, that, you know, that enables bad behavior. Okay, I don't know. You make up your mind. Read, listen, ask for advice, right? And make up our mind and then have our mind and our heart in one place. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then when I recognize how much of my life I've been double-minded, how much of my life I've been going left and then going right, and then going left and going right, when I look at that, I look at my life and I weep. And I weep. He says, weep and lament. Why? Because I'm not making any progress. I look at my life today. I'm just where I was at. A year ago, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. What a waste of time. What a waste of life. What a waste of the greatest, the greatest resource God has given me is time. So he says to us, weep and lament. Then finally, he says to us this last piece of advice, which is just so beautiful. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. With all of this, I turn to God and I tell him, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner. With all of this, I bow my head before him and I tell him, Lord, have mercy on me. And I humble myself before him. Notice he doesn't say humble yourself before others. You can do that if you want to, but that's not the commandment. The commandment is humble yourself before the Lord and he shall lift you up. He's not saying be a doormat. He's not saying you know, uh, I don't know, pat yourself on the chest and bow your head when you see other people. You're welcome to do that if you want to. But that's not what, that's not the commandment. The commandment is to humble ourselves before the Lord. The commandment is to close the door of my room and stand before the King of glory and recognize him as such and recognize that he is the creator of the entire universe, universe and I am but a creation and to stand before him in humility and to offer him the entirety of myself. And if all of this hasn't motivated you, St. James continues on and tells us that our life is but a vapor. Our life is but a vapor. It's just a few years. It's just a few days. So they will pass quickly. And in that time, it behooves us. We ought to watch and to be aware and to be attentive. This advice of St. James came from James chapter 4. Go back and read it. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Weep. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.